Well, you can tell a lot about a person by the company that they keep. When you're at school, uh, what group you're in says a lot about you, doesn't it? You know, what the rest of your year thinks of you is largely based on who you hang out with because who you hang out with says a lot about you. It's the same principle that means uh, public figures are very careful who they're seen to keep company with. So uh, earlier this month, there was a lot of hoo-ha in the papers about Bill Shorten having dined out with some high-flying Chinese businessman. You know, maybe he's being unduly influenced. Or if the Archbishop of Sydney was seen to walk into a brothel, the media would go into overdrive because you can tell a lot about a person by the company they keep. This morning's the first in our summer series on unexpected things Jesus said. There's a lot that he said that took people by surprise. The one we're looking at this morning, it spins out of the unexpected company that he was keeping. Who Jesus was hanging out with said a lot about him. And it wasn't what people expected back then. It might not be what you expect of Jesus even now. But what we'll see is that what it says about Jesus is very good news for us all. That he's willing to keep company with, well, even the likes of you and me. So let's take a look. The action starts with Jesus attracting a large crowd. Uh, We'll pick it up in verse 13. The words will come up on the screen for you if you haven't got a Bible. So here in verse 13. Uh, Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. Now, the reason a large crowd is coming to Jesus is because of what's happened already in the book. Uh, Jesus has done some remarkable things and people are coming from all over the place to see him. So very quickly, back in chapter one, Jesus has already said that God is about to establish his rule over the entire planet. And Jesus says, he's the one to bring it in. He's the king in God's kingdom. It's a big call. But immediately Jesus starts backing up his words with actions. And so he teaches the people and they've never heard anything like it. Such authority and such clarity. And he heals people. In fact, on one night, he healed every sick person in the entire town of Capernaum. And so not surprisingly, there's a real buzz around Jesus. People from all over the place want a piece of him. And so as we pick it up in chapter 2, and Jesus is walking out beside a lake, a large crowd comes to him. Now it's at this point that things start to go a little weird, unexpected. Because Jesus starts to keep some bad company. Out of all the crowd... Jesus singles out one man in particular. The problem was this fellow was bad news. He was someone that everybody else hated. He was a tax collector, but everyone, sorry, but Jesus wanted him. And so verse 14, again, up on the screen for you. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. Now, that would have been scandalous. I mean, in our culture, we're not that fond of tax collectors. We've created an entire industry, haven't we, out of trying to avoid the tax man. But back in Jesus' day, in Israel, tax collectors were much more than someone to just try and dodge. In Jesus' day, tax collectors were loathed. 
because Israelite tax collectors, they had signed up to work for Israel's enemies and so they were seen as traitors. At this time, the Roman Empire was in full swing. Rome had taken over Israel. Israel hated it. It like how we would feel if North Korea or New Zealand took over us. Okay? However, for a few Israelites, they used the Romans' rule to make a lot of money. They agreed to work for the Romans by collecting taxes from their fellow Israelites. And while they were at it, the Romans didn't mind if they charged extra in order to line their own pockets. And so not only were they traitors, they were also thieves. And so tax collectors in Israel in Jesus' day, they were despised. They were low. They were held with contempt. Along with prostitutes and murderers, tax collectors were the last people you would associate with. But on this day, as Jesus walked along, he saw Levi sitting at the tax collector's booth, looked him in the eye and said, follow me. It is hard to overstate just how scandalous this would have been. What would be the equivalent in our day? It's a little bit hard to draw a parallel because for us, you know, we see it as as kind of a noble thing for someone to go and work with, say, a drug addicts, to go and work with them to try and help them. We admire that kind of commitment from people. But what Jesus is doing here, it's on a completely different level. What Jesus is doing here, it's like one of your friends choosing to hang out with a rapist or the school principal being best friends with a pedophile. Jesus is inviting Levi, a despised and loathed tax collector. He's not hanging out with him for a day to try and help him. He is inviting Levi to become an intimate part of his world. Come, follow me. Now, it only gets worse from here. Because not only does Jesus now keep company with one bad apple, he's then seen at a dinner party with a whole bunch of these seedy characters. Levi's so excited, finally, you know, someone of note is paying him some attention. He's so excited about being called by Jesus that he throws a party, invites all of his friends. Trouble is, of course, his only friends are more tax collectors and other outcasts like prostitutes. They're all at Levi's party. Jesus got an invite. He happily goes along. Verse 15, again on the screen. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. So Levi throws this party. You've got a whole heap of sinners come along. And because Jesus is there with them, sharing a meal with them, which was really significant back in the day, Jesus, he now just looks like one of them. Because you can tell a lot about a person by the company they keep. Now, in verse 15 there, Jesus says that there were many sinners at the party. It'd be good to clear up what that means, because sin's a bit of a religious word. But it simply means falling short of the mark. So, you know, when you're playing archery, maybe you got an archery set for Christmas, maybe you didn't. But when you're doing archery and you do your shot and it doesn't even reach the target, you know, it falls short. Sin is simply falling short of what God expects of us. 
God demands perfection, that we love him with everything we've got and we're to love others as we love ourselves and we're to be like this all the time and none of us do that. So we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the mark. It's not a very pleasant thought, is it? You are a sinner, as am I. It's not a nice thought for us. It wasn't a nice thought in Jesus' day either. And so back then they tried to wiggle out of being thought of as a sinner. And so they kept the term sinners for the obviously sinful people, like tax collectors and prostitutes and murderers, that type of person out there. They were the sinners. Now this little game didn't change the fact that they were all sinners, like we all are but it made them feel better about themselves. And so if you were in any way religious in Israel, you definitely didn't keep company with these sinners. But here, Jesus is happily hanging out with a whole bunch of them. It is completely unexpected. If there was a local rag at the time, you know, the Capernaum Chronicle, What Jesus was doing, it would have made front page news. The gossip column would have been filled with scandal and innuendo. Jesus, you know, the new religious teacher on the block. And he's keeping bad, bad company. And you can tell a lot about a person by the company they keep. And it all creates quite a stir. Some of the other local religious leaders, they get wind of what Jesus is doing. And these leaders, they're called Pharisees, they rush on over to Levi's place to see if it's true, to see if Jesus is actually there with his filthy scum. And when they find out that it is true, they're predictably outraged. And they ask a very expected question. Verse 16, again on the screen. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? It's the question everyone would have been asking. What Jesus was doing was unheard of. The sinners would have loved it, but they would have been just as surprised as everybody else. Why is Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners? Does it mean that Jesus thinks sin is a good thing? You know, is Jesus accepting their sin? It'd be very strange if that were true. Because everyone knows that God hates sin, he judges sin, he punishes sin. But if Jesus is supposed to be a man of God, why would he keep company with those who do what God hates? The Pharisee's question is a good question. Why does Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? Thankfully, Jesus answers their question. Finally, we get to hear what Jesus himself has to say on the matter, but it's an unexpected answer that he gives. It was not the accepted norm of his day. Jesus, he was turning things on their head. Why does he eat with sinners? Well, because as the man of God, sinners are exactly the people that Jesus came for. Verse 17 on the screen. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, But the sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. That's a very unexpected thing for Jesus to say. I have not come to call the righteous. 
The righteous people Jesus is talking about are those people who try hard to do what God wants, what today we might call good people. And it sounds like Jesus is saying that he didn't come for good people. Good people don't get to be in God's kingdom. And come on, Jesus, you can't be serious about that. The people who try and live God's way, the righteous people, they're not the ones to get in God's kingdom, but the sinners are? That's exactly what he's saying. For the people back then and for people still today, it's very unexpected. Most people back then thought that the only ones God was interested in were the righteous people. You know, the people that had their lives in order. The people that worked hard at doing what God wanted. The thinking was that God would only accept those people who did their best to please him. As if God was uh, like a giant policeman in the sky. Where if you do the right thing, you'll be okay. But if you do the wrong thing, step out of line, then God will come on down on you like a ton of bricks. Now, lots of people still think like that today. Maybe that's exactly what you think God is like. Maybe you're sitting there just as surprised as the Pharisees were because you do think of God as a giant policeman. And so you think that God hates sin and therefore God only wants the good people. If you think like this, then you're just like the Pharisees in that you've got God half right and also half wrong. You've got God half right in that, yes, he does hate sin. That part is true enough. God can't stand it. In his eyes, all sin is vile. It's evil. Sin is worthy of God's harshest punishment. That much is true. And so you're half right. God hates sin. But that doesn't mean that God only wants the good people. That's the bit you've got wrong. And that's really good news because there are no truly good people. As I said before, we're all sinners. If God did only want the good people, then he'd have no one. The truth is much better. The truth is that even though God hates sin, he still wants sinners to be with him. Because God isn't like a giant policeman, ready to smite us when we do the wrong thing. In fact, the image Jesus uses here is that he's like a doctor willing to heal the sick. The very reason Jesus came, he says, was to make people well. He didn't come as judge and executioner. He came as a doctor to heal. In other words, he came to forgive our sins. He came to bring sinners into God's kingdom by dealing with their sin for them. And so when we get to the end of Mark's biography of Jesus, we'll read of Jesus being executed, being put to death on a wooden cross, and we're told he willingly let that happen so that he could take the place of sinners, to take their sin, to take their punishment. Jesus came to take it all for us, Because he came, in his words, for sinners. So much did he come for sinners, he was even willing to die for them so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be welcomed into God's kingdom. Because the full truth is that, yes, God hates sin, but he also wants sinners to be with him. And so Jesus came for sinners to die for them so that we could be forgiven. Or to use Jesus' illustration, he came as a doctor 
to heal the sick. Now, like with any doctor, if you don't think that there's anything wrong with you, you won't go and see the doctor, will you? You might be seriously unwell, you know, you might have constant headaches, you might be bleeding out your ears, but if in your own mind you're okay, then you won't go to see the doctor and you won't get well. It's the same kind of thing with Jesus. If you don't think that there's anything wrong with you, if you don't think that you have any sin, or if you think that your sin's not an issue, you know, because you're good enough, well, then you won't bother going to Jesus to get healed. In other words, you won't go to Jesus to be forgiven, which means you can't be part of God's kingdom. You will not go to heaven. But if you know you're sick and you're in need of a doctor, in other words, if you know your sin, if you know your guilt before God, if you know you deserve his anger, his punishment, and so you do go to Jesus to be forgiven, well, then Jesus says you're exactly the person he came for. You're precisely the person he died for and he will heal you. He'll take all your sins away. He'll bring you into God's kingdom, safe and secure with God forever. So what are you going to do with all this? What's your response? Because here's what God himself wants you to know this morning. He wants you to know this. Jesus Christ came for sinners. For people like you and me. Because sinners aren't just the pedophiles and the murderers. We're all sinners. We've all fallen short of God. We're all sick. We all need a doctor. And for those of us who have already come to Jesus for forgiveness, this is why we love telling people about Jesus, isn't it? We want to see more and more people, just like us, come to know that in Jesus we can be forgiven. We want more people to know Christ. We're looking for opportunities to tell people about Jesus because Jesus came to forgive people. Of course we want to tell people about him. It's why we want our church family to get bigger. We want more people here with us that they too might know Christ and the forgiveness of their sins. Having more people in our church family, it's going to make life a little harder for us. You know, there'll be more people to get to know, more people to serve. There'll be even more of a feeling of not knowing everyone. But, but we welcome that cost because it'll mean more people who know God's forgiveness, just like we do. So we love having new people here at church. And if you're here this morning and, and this is the first time that you're really giving Jesus any serious thought, this is a great time to be doing that. It's New Year's Eve today. A brand new year spreads out before us. This time of year can be a time of rethinking, you know, reflecting on what's important. Maybe, I don't know, you might even set New Year's resolutions. I can't give you a better New Year's resolution than this. This year, I'm going to admit to God that I'm sick. And I'm going to come to Jesus to make me well. In other words, I'm going to come clean with God and admit my sin, own up to it, and I'm going to ask him for his forgiveness. Is that something you need to do? 
Even now, you might be sitting there and you know that this is true for you. You know the sickness of your own heart, your sin that you just can't escape. And you'd love to be made well. You'd love to be forgiven by God. And you know that right now you should do something about it. If that's you, that's God convicting you to come clean with him and be forgiven. So let's do it. Let's talk to God right now, admit our sin and receive his forgiveness. In this prayer that I pray, I'll pray the words out loud and I'll leave a space after each sentence so that you can pray the words yourself in the quietness of your own mind and you can talk to God yourself. Let's pray. Lord God, I admit I'm a sinner. There's things I've said and done that I'm ashamed of. I deserve your judgment. Thank you that Jesus came for sinners. Thank you that he even died for me. Please forgive me. And please help me to live differently. I want to live your way, not mine. Please help me. Amen. Friends, if you prayed that kind of prayer for the very first time this morning, then know for sure that your sins are forgiven. Jesus Christ himself said, I came for sinners. And so if you've prayed and asked for God's forgiveness, you know for sure that you are forgiven.